Hey, Rick, how are you? All is good on this end. And yourself? I'm doing well. Just hanging out at home. Excited to talk to you. This has been a, uh, a fun project I'm doing, and I really just want to say thank you for agreeing to, to meet with me. Oh, I appreciate the fact that you reached out to me. You're doing something great, connecting with players, talking about their experience with the Mavericks, so I'm sure you're having a fun time doing it. I'm having a blast. I, I, I knew I would have fun, but I'm having so much more fun than I thought I would. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's uh, awesome. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, it's been it's been so much fun. So basically what what I've been trying to do, like you alluded to, is contact former Mavericks and, you know, ask them about their their basketball career and, you know, focus on their time in Dallas, but really talk about their career as a whole. Appreciate uh, the call. Yeah, of course. So if you don't mind, I just kinda wanna dive right in and let's start talking about about your career well as you know i started off went overseas a couple of years after i left thomas moore college went to a small division three school when i got out of high school mm-hmm. i was about six two we just we just had our 25 year anniversary reunion high school reunion oh cool and when i showed up a lot of people didn't know who i was it was <laughs> the funniest thing mike listen we had a running joke my wife and uh When we walked in, I told her, listen, I want you to go up in there and I want to count how many people think they know you versus me. When I left high school, I was 6'2". Yeah. Right. So I was six two. I'm six nine now. So when we walked in, so many people were hugging her mic, like, "Hey, girl, how are you been? How's the family?" Loving on her, and she's funny. My wife, she just played along, like, "Girl, everything is going well." After a couple of minutes, she said, "Listen, you don't know me. You went to school with Rick." So a lot of people were shocked at who I was because once I left school, I took a smaller route. So I went to Division three, mm-hmm. sat out a few years, went over to Thomas More, and I had a great time. Six six freshman year, six seven. Sophomore year, six eight, ultimately six nine. Once I left school, went overseas a couple of years. That's when I got connected on with the Mavericks. After I played over there, had a great time at the Mavericks. But after a while, you're accustomed to playing. Mm-hmm. Like when you've been in different countries where people are chanting your name and you're hitting shots in front of thousands of people, that becomes addictive. <laughs> so right. you want that. So when I went to the Mavericks, had a chance to play, fulfill something on my short-term bucket list to play in the NBA. But ultimately, I wanted to play. And coming from a small Division three school, I heard some of the politics involved and everything else that went, went according to that plan. So I went back overseas, had a great time. Ultimately, I played 15 years total, a lot of years overseas. I played five years in France, five years in Spain, a couple of years in Cyprus, one year in Lebanon. So I, I've enjoyed the opportunity just to be away from home, getting a chance to be a grown man, playing a game, not just getting paid for it, but getting a chance to be immersed in different cultures, societies, learning about someone else, getting outside of that ugly American attitude where you think it's all about yourself and you're learning about someone else. So basketball was that, was that vehicle that put me on that platform to learn about other people. So in short, that's <laughs> a little quick bit about Rick Hughes. That's really cool. Yeah, I knew you had had a successful college career at Thomas More. I read that you, or at least at one point, were the school's all-time leading scorer with over 2,600 points. Do you know if that's still the case? Still the case. It wow. was funny. I talked to a few people. Uh, once I retired back in 2012, I played my last two years in France. 
once I retired, something else that was on my short-term bucket list was to work for a nonprofit and to go back and volunteer at my university. The reason why I had to work at a nonprofit, 15 years in the limelight, you're taking pictures, you're on the front of magazine covers, people shaking your hand, giving you all kinds of freebies. I wanted to do something where I can work behind the scenes, simply talk to someone else, be a benefit to them without them even knowing who I was, couldn't see my pictures just on the phone encouraging people. So I did that for, uh, I had a, signed a seven month contract. So I love that. They wanted me to go on longer and take over the state of Kentucky, but my wife was going back to school, so I couldn't do the traveling. <laughs> However, once I went to Thomas Moore, Mikey was unreal. When I walked in the door, I just, I talked to the head coach and the athletic mm-hmm. director and told him, you know, the athletic director knew who I was, the head coach, we talked and I told him who I was and I wanted to just come back and volunteer. Uh, I assured him, Mike, I said, I'm not coming after your job. I don't want your position. I need to do this right. because I made a promise to myself, to my parents that I would. Volunteered wow. over there for a couple of years. Didn't take a cent. Didn't take a dime. Yeah. You know, I just worked with those guys and it's a small division three. So a lot of those guys didn't believe that they could make it. So I wanted to show them, hey, I'm that mystical unicorn you heard about. Reese's is here, <laughs> you know, all these records. Yeah. <laughs> I broke them. I played overseas, had a great time in college. You can do the same, you know, and that's what we did. So I volunteered for two years, got those guys together. We had the best record in school history. We went 23 and five and it was awesome. So Mm -hmm. love that. that. Yeah, that's really cool. As I've been researching you in your professional career, I read that prior to your stint with the Mavericks, you attended training camps or at least some free agent camps with Chicago, Phoenix, and Utah. Is that correct? Yes, yes. Had a great time there. When I got out of Thomas Moore, I went down to the Phoenix Suns, was working out with them. Mm-hmm. And Paul Millsap was down there. It was a few other great coaches. But it's like you didn't get, I didn't get a feel for it. Mm-hmm. It was just the fact that you're playing in the summer. You're not really accustomed to it. Coming from a Division three, you're traveling by bus to some of these games. You're playing relatively close. When you're in that environment, you got guys coming from extremely large schools. You're somewhat shell-shocked because you're not accustomed to that camaraderie, all the guys in your playing. So I did that, but then I wanted to see what it's like going overseas. Well, okay. once I had a chance to come back home, I worked out with the uh, Atlanta Hawks. And in the preseason, I was playing with Utah. And it was great. I was working out with Carl Malone. I was a rookie for that preseason Mm-hmm. And I tell you, that was an awesome experience. Carmelo, six nine, really strong guy. He yeah. took me under his wing. He was, I was working out with him, and he was showing me what to do and what not to do, and how to maintain yourself. And shortly thereafter, once I got waves, phone was ringing. That was my first. I was like, "Hey, we need you to come down here. It's your perfect, perfect time." Wow, that's great. I was actually, you answered my question. I was going to ask you if you got to work with Malone, you know, playing the same position. So. That was really cool that, that, you, that you got to experience that. That guy's unreal. His work <laughs> ethic. His, his work ethic. When we got there, he, you know, we were sitting there talking. Everybody was calling him male, you know, mailman. Right. They were like, hey, mail this. Hey, mail that. <laughs> I'm not about to call him Mr. Malone because I'm not your son. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> we sat there and we talked. I said, Carl, let me ask you a question. And we started talking about working out. And he started showing me some things. And we started working out together. We would laugh and joke after practice. And he sort of took me under his wing for about a good month. And he was just showing me the ins and outs. And during the preseason, you know, he's a veteran. He was like, I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to play in these preseason games. 
and anybody and the coaches came to us and said, who can play the four? Because when I went there, I was ready to play the three. Scott Padgett was there and a few other players. Mm-hmm. And quickly, I was taught, it doesn't matter the position, just get on the floor. So I quickly raised my hand, I can play the four. Mm-hmm. And at that time, for the for the preseason, I was wearing number 33. So we're out there playing, and we're going, and I'm having great games, and the papers are like, Young Malone. So <laughs> they started calling me Young Malone. And I said, listen, you can't have a better moniker. You know, he's 32, I'm 33 in his preseason. Yeah. So it was, it was awesome. Did you have much interaction with John Stockton? Yes. And I'm going to tell you this, and I truly appreciate Stock to this day. Mm-hmm. When we sat down in the locker room, he was four years old, oldest guy in the camp. Now, Carl Malone was over there on a the bike. You know, he knew what he had to do for the season. Jeff Hornacek was there. Mm-hmm. Adam, uh, I forgot Adam's last name. Keith? He went to uh, Stanford. Adam hey, Keith. Boom, yeah. there you go. Yeah. He, he was there. A lot of great players. Javon. But when we got there, we were doing drills. John Stockton was leading the way in first place in the drills, all the sprints and the line work. And we started doing a lot of different scrimmaging. And at one point, I thought, I was like, you know, you hear the rumors, John Stockton's a dirty player, the way that he set screens. Well, we had to play the Horn Series where the four and the five, they would crisscross. They would run wide. Coach Sloan taught us to run wide. So we would crisscross on the baseline. And Stock would come down. If he's not bringing it, and he would set the screen. And when I got open, I got open because of his screens. I thought he was dirty. But he's just an artisan. He works hard at his craft. And he said the screen so solid, you can't help but be open. People would complain, but it's a solid screen. And Stockton, 6'1", the cock strong, he would make sure he did his job to get you open. Mm-hmm. So we would work out. We Just a quick thing. We were in the game. We were playing, I believe, the Knicks. And it's funny how I remember all this. Sort of like Rain Man. Don't forget too much. <laughs> <laughs> We're coming down court. Stockton is dribbling. He fires it to me. I'm on the right wing running. He fires it to me, and I'm ready to catch it waist high, but he throws it at my head. So off reflex, I block the ball because I don't want to get busted in the face with the ball. <laughs> I block it, and the ball goes out of bounds. For three seconds, Stockton stops, and he looked at me. He stared me down for three <laughs> seconds, and I'm like, ooh. You know, I don't have a guaranteed contract. He's staring at me for three seconds. And on cue, Adam Keith ran past. Stockton is a guard. He's never going to throw a low because a guard can strip it. Keep your hands up high. That's where he's throwing it. And he took off running on cue. Mm-hmm. The next play, I snatched a rebound and kick it to Stockton. I'm running on the exact same side. Same two people filling the wings. He cocks it back and throws one of the hardest fast-pitch baseball with the basketball pass. <laughs> and he fires it at my face. I catch it. And I lit up. He looks at me, smiles, and points at me. And I was like, okay, this guy's a professional. He's testing me. Yeah. And after that point, we sat down next to each other in the locker room. And for over an hour, we just talked. Stockton was talking to me about life, about marriage. Once you find a girl, Rick, this is what you tell her. This is how you. she has to be prepared for the life that you live in the NBA, all the traveling. Over an hour. Wow. Mike, I'm Joe Nobody in his eyes, but he sat down next to me. He could have said, rookie, I'm out of here. He mm-hmm. sat and talked for an extremely long period of time, gave me the ins and outs, and I will never forget that moment. That's really cool. So thanks. It was awesome. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. Oh, you're welcome. So, so moving on to your stint in Dallas, you come here and your teammates with, you know, kind of a 
I don't even think they were emerging yet, but you know, the trio that ev- eventually of Mike Finley, Dirk and Steve Nash, what was your impressions yeah. of them um, as you began to practice with them and see them on a daily basis? You know, Dirk made me out to be like a lottery winner. The simple fact that I told people years ago how great he was going to be. We had the, we had the lock to, I guess the code to go into reunion arena after hours. Mm-hmm. Now I'm single. I'm young. I don't know anybody. So I know I need to work out. I'm at the apartment complex. I'm like, you know what? I need to go get some shots. If I need to go lift, I go to reunion arena about 12, 30, one o'clock. Hit the code in reunion. I'm going upstairs to the elevator. I'm going up into the weight room because I know nobody should be in this building. I hear a ball bouncing. It's dirt. This is like at, at midnight? This is at about 1230 midnight. Oh, wow. On a okay. Wow. We have we had the code to reunion arena and we were able yeah. to go whenever you wanted to. Yeah. So with your code, the building obviously had an opportunity to detect who was coming into it. Mm-hmm. I'm walking in at twelve thirty. We don't have practice the next day. I need to go lift because this is I'm trying to be constructive with my time. Mm-hmm. I walk in there, I hear a ball bouncing, I look out there, Dirk is in the gym by itself, twelve thirty, getting shots up. This was his second year. And yes. I told yeah. people, I was like, Listen, you don't teach that. That's natural. If you're a talented player, you want to get better. And I told people, this guy's going to be the truth. And they were like, no, he's not this, he's not that. I was like, well, I'm just going to throw it out there. This guy's <laughs> going to be great. And, he, and you look back now, you saw the work ethic. Yeah. And that was his second year. We used to sit next to each other on the plane, Dirk and I. Mm-hmm. We used to guard each other in practice. So he was a really good guy. I loved me some Dirk. And, you know, he was a cool person. So I, I knew he was going to make it. Finley was already on the rise. Yes, he, he was. He was a flying tiger, as they called him. He was already <laughs> the all-star nominee for the team. Yeah. And, you know, he was already on the rise, the face of the franchise. Nash, really good guy. Mm-hmm. Really good guy. I mean, he was on the rise being a player and just an overall great personality. We would laugh and joke. And the one thing I can say, you hear the horror stories about people with egos. I don't know what it is about this generation. But back in 99, 2000, Everybody was so humble. Maybe it was the fact that they didn't have the social media where mm-hmm. you weren't worried about people following you and your brand and everything that people have to wrestle with today. But those guys were genuinely just great people. Well, at least that's how they treated me. I, I, I'm going to take an exception. I don't know how they treated other people, but we would all laugh and joke and crack on each other. You know, Gary Trent was down there as well, and, mm-hmm. and he's, <laughs> he's hands down probably one of the most funniest people on the planet. You know, he would say some comments and make some suggestions and just talk straight off the cuff. Absolutely no filter. But I love me some G Trent. He was a great person. So that's someone uh, great for me. That's someone I have on my list to try to reach out to. I'd love to be able to talk with him at some point. You got to find G. Yeah. (laughs) He's funny. So I was, I was looking at, a kind of a, a breakdown of the games that you played in during your stint with the Mavs. And even though it was only 21 games, I mean, you had, you played against some very, I mean, I, mean, I think you just have like a who's who of opponents that you played against while you were in the NBA. I, I saw that you, you played yeah. against the Lakers three times and, and they won the championship that year. What, what are some of the memories you have about playing against the Lakers? Whoo, Nelly almost got me killed. That's the first thing I can tell you that one. <laughs> Coach Don Nelson, he started the hack-a-shack phenomenon. He started that. Yes, he did, yeah. We we were running up and down the court, 
And he, you know, I was in the game, and he wasn't about to tell Sid Sabalas, Nash, Dirk Finley. He wasn't about to tell them. He looked at me, the expendable. You know, he said, huge. And he put his hands together in the form of an X and pointed at Shaq. Now, I didn't know what that meant. He said, huge. (laughs) And he pointed. So I'm like, okay. So he pointed again. I'm like, they was like, foul him, foul him. So Shaq is running down court. Mike, picture this. Yeah. I'm 6'9". At the time, it was about 225, 230. Shaq, 7'2", all of 300. I'm running down court, and I'm smacking him on his arm. Smack one, <laughs> smack two, smack three, smack four, yeah. smack five. And he got to the point, the referee, Hugh Holland, was running down the court, and I'm smacking him, smacking him, <laughs> smacking him. And he finally blew the whistle, and he called a foul on me. Now I walked over there to him. I said, Hugh. You saw me fouling him. And he turned his head so that the crowd couldn't see him, but he started, he bust out laughing. He said, Rick, what you were doing was legal, but I knew what you was trying to do. So I called the foul to save you. I lost it. Like, like you could, I'm smacking him. He said, Rick, you can touch a person. Next time, just go grab him. I said, I'm not about to get killed out here. He said, we won't let you get killed. Just grab him and walk away. So next time they hit a foul him, I grabbed him. Shaq, you all right? Okay, big fella. You know they told me to do it, and I just ran off. I'm like, I'm not about to get killed and hit on national TV. But, you know, that was one of the funnier moments because Shaq understood it. He was, a, he was a gentleman player. He would go off and yell and scream, but this is my first time. He doesn't recognize my face because I'm new to the league, and he understood it. He just shook his head like, I got you, young fella. And mm-hmm. it was just funny because I'm like, I'm smacking it. Boom, boom. But we played them, Kobe. I had to, you know, at that time I was checking the one through five. Right. So I'm out there checking Kobe, Derek Fisher, Glenn Rice. You know, I'm checking Shaq. You know, we played Cleveland. That's when Sean Kemp was at the apex of his game. I'm out there checking him. Yeah, I was going to ask you about playing against Kemp. Oh, he was a beast. That's when he was the rain man, you know, Mm -hmm. dunking on everybody. And there was a moment in the game when we were playing and he was killing us up at the Gund Arena up in Cleveland. And he was absolutely killing us. And Nelly was talking in the huddle. And I guess this was that youth and exuberance. They come together and you really don't have a plan for it. But I yell out, let me check him. <laughs> and he look at me. And everybody in the huddle just stopped. So I'm like, I'm on Front Street now. My, I'm like, what? Let me check him. Well, he said, well, go get him. So we got in the game. And that game, I think I finished with 13 points. And it was crazy because people started asking me questions like, you weren't afraid? I'm like, listen, I just played overseas for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. I don't know enough of the NBA culture to be afraid. I'm just accustomed to playing. Let right. me check them. You know, we lost, but we played against them, and I had fun. A few nights later, we played against Houston. I'm out there checking the dream, and Charles Barkley's down there. That know? was going to be my oh. next question, uh, your your game against the Rockets, because that was another game you scored double figures in, and I was going to ask you about Olajuwon and Barkley. Whoo, that situation with Elijah Wan. I, I swear to God, you know, saying welcome to the NBA. You know, it's like you're, it's one thing to watch him play on TV, but now I'm in the game checking the dream. You know, <laughs> so I'm on the block, and they did something, and I'm so aggressive trying to get over the screen, and they set me up. I fought up the screen, but he went back door alley. I turned around, the ball's in the air. I was like, I don't want to get on TV as a poster. So I just, <laughs> boom, he dunked it. But, but we're out there playing, and Mike, in every scouting report, I have to know all of the tendencies of the person that I'm going to check. If they say, Rick, you want to play San Antonio, you're checking Tim Duncan, what are his tendencies? 
Well, Tim likes to go on the left block. He likes to do the jump hook over the left shoulder. He has a up, uh, he's a plethora of up and unders. Don't bite on the face. You have to know their tendencies. Mm-hmm. Well, just like we have to know them, they have to know us. So I just left Lebanon, and I had a great season over there. I did some scoring awards and all that type stuff. So when we're out there playing, I'm running down court. I'm checking in the game to go check Charles. And Charles was like, Rick, how you doing? I first off, I'm a shell shock because I'm like, did you just call me by my first name? Like, you know me? <laughs> <laughs> so he says, Rick, how you doing? I was like, you know, in my mind, are you Charles? Are you Chuck? Are you round now? I don't know what to call you. Right. So I just said, I'm good. I'm like, I'm good, man. How you doing? He was like, man, I heard what you was doing overseas. He said, young fella, you got a career. You got a future in this game, man. Keep going hard. And I'm sitting there like, did you just compliment me where nobody heard that but me? Are you trying to play with my mind or are you being, I don't know what's going on, Mike. So it's, I'm so green. I'm just out there playing hard. So we played them into the game. He was like, young fella, keep going. And they were all giving me love and was like, you can play this game. Keep going. So it's, you know, playing against the dream. You know, he was down there, Barkley. Played against San Antonio. I'm walking out there talking to Tim Duncan. Mm-hmm. David Robinson, the Admiral, was there. And so I, I played against a lot of great people in Minnesota when they had KG. We played them at home. After we played up in Minnesota. So we were playing them. And so I got a chance to play against some of the game's best big men right. <laughs> that, yeah. that we've ever seen in that era. And so, you got to play at Madison Square Garden, I can see, too. Scariest thing ever. Really? I just I think that's the yeah. – oh, my God. What was that so was scary the, about me, it? Well, at that time, you know, Nelly he was unconventional. Mm-hmm. He, was a, he was a coach before his time. The way that he did the small ball, what he did for Billy Owens and Derrick Cole, I mean, just the way that he played Anthony Mason, whoever had the ball could bring it up. Mm-hmm. That was what his approach was. He told me, Rick – Whoever gets the rebound, they have to know all of the plays to be able to bring it up and initiate the offense. And when I first got there that night, we were getting ready to play Seattle. I was coming from, I was with the traveling AAU team up in New York. They called me down and said, Rick, they were looking for me. The hotel said, Rick checked out, didn't bother to tell him I checked into another room down the hall. So when I got down there, Nellie picked me up, took me to breakfast. Now, now this is Donnie, I'm sorry. Donnie picked me up, Don, okay. took me to breakfast. And he gave me the whole playbook. And I was like, okay. He said, you think you can learn a few of these plays? I told him, I'll learn the whole playbook by tonight. And he looked at me and said, what? I was like, just test me tonight. As we're walking through, just yell out names, and I'll tell you where everybody needs to be. Because this is how I was taught to study at Thomas More. Mm-hmm. You know, thankfully, I was going to go to school to be a lawyer, Chase Law School, had a 342 GPA. So I was blessed to be, you know, in a position where academically I can catch on quickly. So I learned all the plays in one day. So when we got there, they wanted me to be able to know every position. Now, with that knowledge comes a little bit of dangerous power because when we go <laughs> up to Madison Square Garden, we take the elevator up. Now, you got the ghost, or you got the legends of Willis Reed, mm-hmm. Clyde Frazier. I look over, Spike Lee in the front row. So I'm up in there playing. I snatch a rebound, go coast to coast. Crossover in between my leg, threw a left hook pass, boom, somebody caught it and laid it up. Now, Nelly was experimenting with this, so he started calling my name, Hughes. Mike, I was scared to death. I knew what was coming. Hughes. <laughs> I didn't even look at him. Hughes. Finally, finally grabbed me and 
point that way. He said, you're running point from this point on. I'm in Madison Square Garden, <laughs> bringing the ball up court in front of the world on the biggest stage, the Mecca of basketball. Mm-hmm. I'm bringing the ball up court. I'm checking Allen Houston, Spreewell, and I'm bringing the ball up court, starting the point. That was the scariest thing ever. But, it, you know, it's, <laughs> I'm, we're in Madison Square, Mike. Right, I'm bringing yeah. it up court. And it's like Spreewell is pressuring Allen Houston. And I'm a relative unknown, but because I'm tall and can handle it and was getting to the bucket, I think I finished like eight points or something like that, six rebounds. But it was like, Hughes, you run point. It's one thing to do it off the just a fast break. But to be the person that they inbounded to, right. now I'm walking, throwing up my hands, cooling out plays. Man, look, scariest <laughs> moment I think I've ever had in my life up until that stage. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, that. Wow, that that sounds like you had quite an experience during your your time with the Mavs and in the NBA. I mean, just in terms of the opponents that you you faced against, that's a, a very impressive list. I enjoyed it. I mean, yeah. it was lasting memories. And I told somebody, it's not about you know how long you stay in a position. It's about what you do when you're there. And I had an opportunity to not only mix and match with different personalities, overcome a few fears, but to pretty much check off a few things on the list that what I wanted to do, I set out to do, and I had a game plan and a level of extreme focus and I was able to harness my wheel with the grace of God and to be able to complete, you know, a few things that I set out to do. So I'm grateful for it. Absolutely. Yeah, no, that's, that's really great. And I I really appreciate you, you sharing that with me. So you said earlier that you played professionally until 2012, correct? Yes. So after your time with the Mavs, was the rest of your career just only in Europe or you mentioned... Or I guess that was Spain and France, right? It was Spain, France, some time over in Cyprus. During that time frame, a lot of people were talking about different NBA teams. Mm-hmm. But I sat down with my pastor of my church, and we were going back and forth over the concept of playing in the NBA. And that's when I tell a lot of people, you have to get outside of yourself, outside of your own comfort zone. You need to be able to talk with someone mm-hmm. that can pour into your life and give you the wisdom that's necessary. And I was so adamant about making it to the NBA. And he asked me a few questions. Rick, do you think you can play this game? Most definitely. Do you think playing in the NBA validates you as a player? And I've never been asked that before. And I said, well, that's the highest level of expression for this game. He said, but do you think you're a failure if you don't do that? I was like, no. He said, are you making good money overseas? Yes. Do you enjoy playing in front of thousands? Most definitely then why not do what you love versus doing what someone else is forcing you to do? And that blew my mind away, Mike. That revolutionized how I thought because now it's about the game that I love, mm-hmm. not the place where I play it. So I went back overseas, didn't mm-hmm. look back. Man, my son was born in Strasbourg, France. He has dual citizenship. Oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> he, he was born in Strasbourg. We, were, we had a game March 31st. We played against the team that I played for the year before, and I had a great game. I had 34 and 10. I was killing. And during the game, no one told me my wife was having contractions. After the game, we had to go into the big VIP room, shake hands with all the major sponsors, the mayor of the city, all of the people that, you know, the who's who of that town. Mm -hmm. I'm shaking hands. They say, you need to go home. I turn around, Mike, my wife was having contractions. And I met her while I was with the Mavericks. Kiwana Willis at the time, now Kiwana Hughes. I met her at the Mavericks, and she was having contractions. We went to the hospital. We had the best doctors in Europe. 
Mm-hmm. And she gave birth to my son, Rick Jr., RJ. His birth certificate is in the Paris Hall of Records. But lo and behold, he was born April 1st. So when I called home, Mike, no one believed me. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Um, no one believed me. I kept having to hang up on family members. They kept saying, Rick, would play. And I'm like, listen, Rick Hughes Jr., RJ is in the building. April 1st, no one believed me. So I just started hanging up and just letting it sink in that, yes, my son is actually here. So they announced it on the radio, all kind of press conferences. And I, I was signing autographs the day he was born in the delivery room. Two nurses wow. taking pictures. And I'm signing <laughs> autographs while my son was born. I, I'm in the midst of crying with a pen in my hand. My- <laughs> <laughs> That's really funny. I, I know awesome. when, uh, when you and I initially spoke on the phone last week, you mentioned possibly having your kids come back to Dallas one last time to see to see Dirk play and maybe serve as the ball boys. Um, have, you, have you come back to Dallas since you left uh, to watch games? We, I went back and I saw the playoff game. I think we saw a playoff game or two. We went back for that. Mm-hmm. And I know my wife, she's really great friends with a lot of people down there. She would go down there and just touch base. I want to give her a girls weekend where she can just go see people because she has family in Dallas. Plus, right. she knows some of the people from the Mavericks. We just left down there this past summer, yet they were in transition of moving the one building, moving all the offices from one building to another. We were down there, saw Theta, long-standing member. She works in the front office. She's like my second mother. Yeah. You know, she's like Keith, <laughs> second mom. She, you know, loved up on us and appreciated us and helped us so much to the point where she's like a family member. So Theta, a few of the other people down there. So we was down there this summer, but we didn't get a chance to see people because it was at the start of right. the L.A. Summer League. They were out there in Vegas. So okay. we're going to try to see if we can make it down there before Dirk leaves the building so my kids can go down there with a scrub brush and rub the floor, you know, so wipe it <laughs> off and, you know, just have that little memory in their mind, take a few pictures with Dirk and go from there. Yeah, no, that that would definitely be a great experience. I hope you I hope you guys get to do that. Yeah. Do you still do you still play at all in in your free in your free time? I work out with my kids and I try not to play because this is going to sound funny, but when you've done it for so many years, mm-hmm. there really isn't the switch of calming down while you're playing is no longer there. You either go 100% or you don't. And I would go up to the Y and I would go hard. I'm blocking shots. I'm dunking it. I'm shooting shots. And I'm already in preparation for being overseas. Mm-hmm. But I had to realize I'm home now with the lunchtime crowd. <laughs> <laughs> you know, these guys are just coming up to get a workout in because I used to get together with a lot of guys that played overseas, mm-hmm. but I realized I couldn't do that anymore because being so competitive as you're getting older, mentally, you still have it. Physically, I don't want to run the risk of getting injured Yeah, because as, as, as you get older, it's the soft meat tissues issues so far as like your back, mm. you know, your hamstrings and stuff like that. So I had to learn, I, I had to put my shoes up and instead of buying basketball shoes, I would just start buying running shoes. So I knew I couldn't play. I would stay on the treadmill, lift the cool and run and lift, swim, but I can't play anymore because I don't have the ability to stop playing hard. I, <laughs> that sounds funny, but I can't. So I just don't do it unless it's with my kids. Right. That's about it. Okay. Who's your favorite player in, in the NBA these days? <sighs> favorite player. I love LeBron. Just the fact that not the, not the Ohio connection, but just the way that he plays. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a joy. He, to me, in my opinion, 
he's a modern-day Magic Johnson. Big guy that can control the floor with passing, with scoring, and uh, he loves to get everyone involved, and he makes the correct basketball play. Love mm-hmm. the way LeBron plays. I love, you know what I'm saying, Kawhi Leonard, the way yeah. that he puts his head down and how he's just changed his game to be an offensive threat instead of just a defender. Tim mm-hmm. Duncan retired. He picked up that slack and kept going. So I have a list of players that I like. Russell Westbrook, pretty much the top three. He rounds that out. The guy just plays with a true level of ferocity that I've never seen in my life. You know, Jordan was an assassin, but Jordan would do it. I couldn't hear him talking trash. But you see Russell's facial expressions, and he'd go full court and dunk on you in a minute and just growl. Oh, I'm coming at you, you know, all of that type of stuff. So I love that guy. So. Do you have any funny uh, Don Nelson stories that may, that maybe a lot of people aren't aware of? Uh, let me see, let me see, let me see, Nelly. Well, I, I'm going to say this. At one point in time, we had one guy on the team, I'm not going to throw his name out, but he was injured. And if you're injured, they want you to still come to practice. Mm-hmm. You know, well, it's a couple of them. The one, Nelly being the head coach and the GM, he controls the fines and everything else. Well, we were up in Minnesota. You have to be on the bus at a certain time so we can leave. You got fined $1,000 for every minute you were late. Wow. <laughs> $1,000. Now, I don't, I don't have that type of money. So one player walked into the gym. He missed the bus. And by the time he got there on the taxi, people just yelled out, that's 5000 He was five minutes late. And I don't know. I don't care who you are, how much money you have. When you can do that, you know, $5,000 fine, that's unreal. That's one thing Nelly did. But the second thing he did that just tickled me, a player was injured, and Nelly pretty much was at the position where he took everybody to roof, Chris, you know what I'm saying, just the mm-hmm. fact that this guy wasn't there. You know, the way that he did it, I ain't going to go into detail, but yeah. the way that Nelly did it, some of the comical stories, his overall personality. I love Nelly the fact that he was so unconventional. Some of the things that he did, some of the things that he said, somewhat off the cuff, you know. So as I'm thinking about it, I'm getting ready to tell a story, and I'm like, no, that's not. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm catching myself as I'm speaking, like, ah, no, that may not be, you know. Right. You know, yeah. that's a very story, but, I, but that, that hack-a-shack thing. Was that funny, was a good one. You know. Some of, some of the things, some of the things that he did, you know, just the silly stuff. But I love Nelly. I love Donnie, his son. You know, mm-hmm. he worked with me. You know, he was just a genuine person. All that whole coaching staff. Those are some great guys for me to get introduced into that NBA lifestyle. With some of the coaches that we had, Scott Ross was there, Charlie Parker, you know, Roger Hines, great trainer. You know, Steve. It's just a lot of good people that I enjoyed. And even when I left, I still kept in touch with him. Sean Rooks, you know what I'm saying? God bless his family. You know, he yes, was a great guy. Bruno Sundolf. That's Sean funny. Rooks passed away. Yeah. That's funny that you mentioned Bruno. I actually spent a lot of yesterday afternoon talking to him. I, have, <laughs> I, ha- I haven't recorded the episode yet. We're, in, we're trying to get this uh, scheduling ironed out. But uh, he's, he's definitely interested in doing an episode. He seemed really excited about it. So I'm, I'm excited to talk to him. I remember him. Fairly well. I know he didn't see a lot of court time, but it just seems like he'd be a good person to. He might have some interesting stories from his time with the Mavs. The three of us hung together me, Bruno, and Sean Brooks. When we get to certain cities, we would go out to eat, catch a taxi somewhere. Bruno and I played ball overseas together in Spain. 
Oh, so cool. my wife knows his wife, his daughter, you know, <laughs> Drusilla, you know, just the whole little family. So our kids all grew up in Spain knowing each other. That's awesome. <laughs> so. Yeah, it was a great this, it, relationships extended past just the NBA concept to the point where, you know, our lives intermingled off the court in a better way. So it's, it's a small fraternity. You know, you know somebody then, you know them in different countries. Right. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> well, thanks so much, Rick. Uh, this, this was great. I, I enjoyed your stories and enjoyed hearing about your career and, you know, hopefully you and your family make it back to Dallas and just, I wish you all the best and hopefully we can keep in touch. That's picture perfect. Mike, if you could just let me know when you, this is going to air, send me a link or something. I'd love for my kids to be able to hear this or some of the stories if you have it. Yeah, you just go from there? absolutely. Um, I mean, I can definitely send you a, a a SoundCloud link once I have it edited yes. and, and up online. And I just submitted the podcast to iTunes earlier today. So at some point in the very near future, it'll be on there too. But for now, I can definitely do SoundCloud later this week. That'll work. Hey, Mike, I truly appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Thanks, Rick. Have a great night. Hey, you too. Bye. All right. Bye.